And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday. February 16th, and it is a live one. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, and our newest addition to the Rates and Barrels crew, Trevor May, is here for the first time. Trevor, welcome to Rates and Barrels. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm very excited having me on. I guess I'm going to be here quite a few times. So I'm really, really pumped for this. And thanks for inviting me. Every Friday, if you're not watching us live today, 1 o'clock Eastern, we can go live on our YouTube channel. It's an amazing uh, transition, right? 450 innings in the big leagues, 520 Ks, 21 saves that many of our listeners are very grateful for as a heavy fantasy baseball podcast. And now you're here. And I started to think about this. You know, we've had this debacle unfolding over the last couple of days since pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training. The uniforms have been an absolute mess. And I know sometimes uniform hijinks happens at some point along the way, if not in the big leagues, maybe on the way to the big leagues. This is an all-timer, though. Steven Nesbitt from The Athletic had a story about this, and he had a quote from Carlos Estevez. It said, when I wear my pants, I feel like I'm wearing someone else's pants, (laughs) which just seems like a miserable way to have to try and pitch. It seems like any sort of physical discomfort when you're out there trying to do that job seems incredibly difficult. So I have to ask you, have you ever had to wear someone else's <laughs> pants during a game? I have. Um, I actually did uh, a few times with the Mets in 2022 when I wore the pants up. I didn't have pants up. So they had to go to the back and find me. I was like, I want some shorties or, or uh, some tweeners uh, or the bucks is what I would call them. And uh, they go back and they found some uh, a, a pair of guy that a minor league guy had in spring training. They're like, uh, try these on. And they were huge. But I was like, Sure. And it was fine. Like I chose them, but like they weren't tailored for me. And there's a time in spring where like Majestic is coming now, uh, uh, I believe Nike, right? Yeah. And uh, they come in and say, hey, like you need adjustments to your pants. And then you kind of go over them and, and then they get you a, a little bit of a change to your to your styles. So guys want to go different or they, their bodies change or whatever. And usually that takes care of it. But yeah, I, I it's weird. I'm seeing a lot of stories like this too. Like guys are like, what happened? Like what is going on? Why why are all these wrong? Like why don't our our pants fit? And it is the worst because it's something you're in. Like they need to fit like a, a like a glove. Like you, they got to feel like pajamas almost. Like the most comfortable things ever because you're in them all day every day. So yeah, that that's not a good way you want to start your spring by your your uniform yeah. not fitting. Imagine Robbie Ray in some in some baggy pants, dude. He doesn't need to cinch right into that. <laughs> or God forbid, tighter, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. Could it get Not tighter? possible. Not possible. <laughs> we call those spray-ons. Uh, they come in a can. You, you spray them on. You know, just to, from an aesthetic standpoint, I think they look pretty terrible. Like the the weird, the lettering is, is look at that. I mean, it's just, it's tiny lettering. Oh, bad. You so know? That's the difference? Is that the side-by-side from last year and this year? Yeah, the Kirby and Gilbert is side by side. Yeah, wow! Look at how bunch they are on the right too. They, oh, yeah. the numbers are smaller. The trim's different. The name plates on the back are smaller. And then, of course, there's all the fabric stuff they're talking about. Yeah, that Mariners image comes from the Bobby Mullins. Then I think it's Jeff Jones with the the Miles Michaelis jersey. If you're looking at those visuals, I mean, the Cardinals jerseys are kind of boring anyway. But to make them look worse is actually an amazing achievement. That looks like a jersey, dude. They look yeah. like they're ironed on. Look how crooked the nine is on um, Michaelis. <laughs> nine is crooked too. I didn't know. What? That's fanatics quality right there. I retired just in time. I think that's confirmation. I was still on the fence. Now I'm. Now I'm certain. Yeah. Shades. <laughs> shades of uh, what was it? Great Britain. <laughs> where, oh yeah. Where during the WBC they had like their letters were falling off. <laughs> Who was that photo of? Is Worley Worley's jersey where he's just losing <laughs> yeah. like two letters in Great Britain. <laughs> 
<laughs> felt so bad for them. That was like, uh, you know, th- so the, the thing that's different about that is like WBC, like you have only as much money as like your country will give you for the WBC. Like it's, they don't have great funding. So just, I actually felt bad for Great Britain because I was like, oh man, you kind of, you're like kind of a small program. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Like I could see how this happened, but you know, <laughs> All of the MLB, like spring training, it's not a small program. That that should be you should dedicate your best resources to it. So to to look like uh, the same as Great Britain's ironed on jerseys is 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 a fail, really. Yeah, not a not a W for sure. It's not what you're looking for. Uh, the other thing that had me kind of thinking from the perspective of someone who's played in the big leagues, what is the worst? training idea you've ever acted on something you thought was going to help you because i saw a story today nolan shanuel decided to stand up all day long twice a week throughout the entire offseason this was his idea the angels (laughs) didn't tell him to do it this was his way to make his legs stronger in a very literal sense sam blum wrote that one for the athletic did you ever try anything like that you're like this might work um not not like that 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 so i pride my ability or my i pride myself in my ability to like uh like have a ba- a reason to back up the thing i'm doing like so i can honestly <laughs> like, i wanted to come in i i saw this in the rundown i'm coming in back like, now everything i did worked perfectly uh but the, yeah the standing to make your legs strong like i get the i don't stand up enough i don't want to be uh, sedentary you know i need to you know get my feet like i literally just saw a video from mitch hanniger about his like work on him making his feet stronger and gripping the ground and grounding and Ottavino does stuff like that. And so I was like, that's good stuff. But like, it sounds like Nolan was, that's what he's looking for. And he's just not quite <laughs> there yet. Uh, <laughs> the worst thing I ever did was uh, probably in that, in that vein. And I think I, uh, I was going to run in like the, you know, the, the barefoot shoes and mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. did it. And let me tell you, that is not something you just do. You just have to ramp your way up into that, right? Yeah, you can't. Like, you know, yeah, you're sore. Your feet are sore in a way that you did not know that was possible. There's <laughs> things moving that haven't moved in your life. And uh, yeah, I was like, I'm gonna run my. I'm gonna go run ten poles in bare, basically barefoot. Like, I'm just gonna go run ten miles on the on the beach. No, you're not. You're not gonna do that. Now you're gonna. Then you're not gonna do it for a month because you're gonna be sore for that long. So, uh, yeah, that was that was one. But I had to adjust adjust it quickly. So I'm I'm. We'll just watch Daniel hit 30 homers or something, and then everyone is going to have standing desks next year. <laughs> That'll be the games. new thing. Yeah. It's a copycat league. There's a real uh, backlash against some things that, like, I think have value but do look strange. I, you know, mm-hmm. I can think of certain uh, Twitter accounts that um, take hitting some of the hitting training methods to account. Like, there's this, uh, you can hit on, like, a board that moves. And it's 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 to like keep you to help you be stable, but it looks really funny when you're watching someone do it. It doesn't really look like hitting. So like, what's the what's the weirdest training thing you do that like has legitimate reason but doesn't look like pitching at all? Uh, you know, is there anything you can think of? Is it like the shoulder tube? Like the one of the things that's kind of iconic for pitching is is like this thing that you hold that you kind of you you you're just sitting there like kind of making this 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 board kind of go up and down. You know the the shoulder tube. Do you do anything like that? The, the body blade, yeah. So the body it's blade, called yeah. body blade. It's it looks like a like a it's like a long piece of like flexible. I think it's metal wrapped in plastic, but like you're trying to get it to wobble up and down. Kind of like a, mm. a sheet wobbling up and down. It's supposed to stabilize your shoulder, which they're those are actually really good, and the science supports that because so there's it's science there. It just doesn't look like pitching. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like pitching. But then you go through motions, and you like you. You also can like put your finger pressure in to get it to like you can turn it sideways and like feel that. Like so, if you're working on forearm stuff, so there's a bunch of stuff you can do. Uh, there's something I had when I was a kid uh, called a Dynaflex, uh, a gyro ball that you spin, and then it like spins in your hand like this, and then you go the other way and you try to build forearm oh, strength. I remember that. Yeah. But there's, it's the same thing, same kind of premise is you can go out and you can like do the same type of movements you do with the body blade. And I hadn't seen one like there, nobody had them because they're kind of like, not that they don't work. They're just kind of older school technology. Right. And of course I walk into the A's clubhouse and there's two of them. <laughs> so yeah, I back up and hey, I used it all year. And arm felt they're good. portable. They're way they more portable. portable than the blade, right? You know, yeah, you can just throw them in the bag. Kind of passive. Yeah. <laughs> you can just sit in your locker just like for a minute each way and you get your arm warm arm warmed up and it's like kind of it feels kind of kind of nice I, I liked it and i used I, I i like to think that that's what made me throw hard as a kid so i was like i still have that connection so i'm like maybe I'll throw harder. <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, the body blade sounds more like capital S science, what Nolan Shanuel had. That was just an idea. <laughs> yeah, was there an right. idea? Yeah. What if I... <laughs> There's got to be a million stories from around the game of people just trying all sorts of crazy things. We were talking about with sticky stuff a few years ago. The, the homemade concoctions that pitchers were trying to cook up. <laughs> trying to find something else to get grip. Never-ending possibilities. Hitters have the best stuff, by the way, for that. The hitters, oh, uh, like oh. Noda, had the, uh, the strap on the head and the ball. Did you ever see him doing that, you know, when you were in there? Because he did uh, it right before BP. And he'd like it out, and he'd literally do, like, the boxing, like, short punches and just keep the ball, like, a, literally one of the ping-pong paddle things with the ball, but on his forehead. And he just punched things to try to keep track on the ball. Uh, oh. Mauer did some stuff, too, with, like... Uh, like you know the the peripheral vision like lights and pressing them trying to develop oh, yeah, the, yeah, get yeah. the concussion stuff too so that was part of it but like there's a lot of like that kind of stuff that hitters do to like track balls and it's it's pretty funny to watch them when you don't know what they're doing <laughs> ping pong ball on the hat on the hat he's got a ping pong ball like he's trying to punch a ping pong yeah, ball it's like one of those red rubber balls and he's just punching it <laughs> <laughs> and it's going back out and the other guys try it and no one can touch it and he's just like because he does it so much well no might have the best eye on the team he so. does exactly i'm like maybe everyone should do this and yeah. get you get you one of those so this time of year is incredible because there's so much information that comes out beat reporters have i think a really hard job this time of year it's a flood of information they're trying to make sense of it only a percentage of it's even true the stuff they're told that is and then we, on the outside, are like, what's really going on? So, an example, Justin Verlander, he said Wednesday, he's a couple weeks behind schedule because his right shoulder didn't bounce back the way he'd hoped during his off-season throwing program. That could mean anything. What are we supposed to do with information like this that just keeps coming out day after day throughout camp now that everything started up? Well... Uh, this is uh, this is always a very interesting thing because here's the deal. Off-season... Guys, uh, everyone treats their offseason a little differently. Like some guys are super connected with the team still. Like they even stay in this spring training place. They're working out of the stadium. Like they're with the trainers all the time, and that's the best situation for them. But a lot of guys like go home, and they're they're you know their families from a pl place that isn't there, and they they don't like they're the resources they have are limited too. And so things get a little bit like if you're feeling something. And you have time because it's still the offseason, you tend to kind of wait and see. It's like take a break, see see what's see if it's just something small, and then and then go from there because uh the real sense of urgency doesn't start until your spring training, whether you try to get it to or not. Like it just isn't the same thing unless you're there. And so that's what happens a lot. And you know, we we mentioned the Bradish thing and the means thing. It's just, there's a bunch of stuff coming out all over the place, even like treatment happening we didn't hear about. Um, because they're they're like, maybe this isn't a thing until we have to tell people we're not going to. And so that's why it all happens right now. And for for like Justin, you know, he's 40. Like he was there's one he doesn't know every year now. He's like, let's see how like let's see what's gonna happen here in the offseason. Max Scherz are very similar. They're they're both like, let's see. But they've also been around so long enough that they know a lot about themselves. So they sometimes they have a hunch. And then they're the ones that are going to make the decision at the end of the day anyways. Like, no training staff is going to tell them, you know, what, <laughs> yeah, what's happening. It's just where they're at <laughs> in their careers. Hall of Famers, just, that's just what's going to happen. What they say goes. So uh, some guys like that can handle their own thing. And then, then he comes in, he's like, hey, I thought it would bounce back. It didn't. Uh, we'll just manage it. We'll, 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 we'll take it one step at a time. This just happens. And then there's younger guys who are maybe afraid to say something because, you know, maybe they're on the cusp or maybe they want to make a team and they're hoping it goes away. And unfortunately, oh. that doesn't happen all the time. All of these things happen, but they're all happening at the same time. And the guys are having these different reactions that, that kind of come out in the same news cycle. And it's, it's, you know, I've had this happen. I had this happen with my back in 16, coming back in 17, where I was like, I need to, this needs to be fixed because I can't have that year again. And then that's when I got Tommy John because I don't think I threw as much long toss as I needed to. So it caused another problem. But I, I do remember being like, no, I'm good. I'm good when I'm still kind of worried about it. Like it's not quite where I want it to be. But uh, and then you go to spring when you're ramping up truly and the urgency's there. And that's when you really know if it's a hurt or a you know thing you can work through. You just don't know until you're doing the daily grind of the game. And that unfortunately happens when spring training starts. You know, it's the, it was surprising to me when John Means said he was a month behind um, just because I wasn't sure what that meant. Like, I know he's a starter and you relieved most of your career, but. Like, what does that mean to be a month behind? Like, what would you have been doing over the last month to get to this point? You know, like how if if opening day is 100 percent 
what is February 16th and what is January 16th? Like, what's that month? You know, what percentages are you trying to get to? Yeah, that's, that's interesting because starters and relievers wildly different. Like I could, yeah. I could throw four bullpens and go to spring and then I have enough time because of the way, like the level of endurance I need to have when the season starts. Uh, that's a luxury in a lot of ways. So it's easier to say you're a month behind when you're a starter because we think in the, you think in terms of like six, like outing chunks or mm. six bullpen chunks. So basically what he's saying is I threw six less. I'm six behind. Like I'm six in my progression. I'm six levels behind of where I would like to be going into a regular season. Um, and with the whole thing with the, with surgery and all that kind of stuff, like they're just naturally going to be slow because he didn't throw very much. Uh, so it's, it's, did he even throw at the end of last year? He did just a couple, I think. Um, so it, it, he doesn't have a lot of innings, so they're still going to be t tentative with him. And so, and, and when it's a starter, like a month is kind of just the, like a one unit of time kind of mm. when you're ramping. So it's just an easy round number to use, but yeah, he's probably like, he's like, I can only get stretched out. If I go now, I could probably get stretched out to three innings or, you know what I mean? Like only, only, you know, and, and that's not enough to start the season on the, on the team. It's just not. So, um, that's kind of the benchmark I think for him. You, that would be your guess. If he's a month behind that, it, it's going to be hard to be there on opening day. Exactly. Exactly. And and I guess for them, the process, you're talking about a bullpen. If you're talking about six bullpens, you can do that in two weeks. Yeah. Like uh, a reliever could do it in two weeks because I can throw like a 15 pitch, a 20 pitch, a 25 pitch, a 30 pitch, and then like three, two 30 pitches. And now I'm put me in a game. And then you have to just port that over with more rest for a starter and more pitches. So they're going to go, they're yeah, going to go 20 or 30. Process a couple times try to get to 50 i mean they have to get to 80 or 100 so they have to at least get to like 75 they have to get to 75 80 before this regular season starts and that is minimum and more rest between their bullpens exactly exactly yeah. especially with his injury so like add that in too so it's even slower if you're being safe and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free hey frank a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct tv what's little birdie was it jimmy the sparrow it's a figure of speech point is you can stream direct tv over the internet now oh sure next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people right <laughs> you mean airplanes stream direct tv without a satellite dish call 1-800-DIRECT-TV terms or restrictions apply Ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? We've all been there. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code barrels to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at trifume.com slash barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. And it's not just like injury information that comes out this time of year. You get a lot of the best shape of their life stories. Manoa oh, looks those good. Those are fun. Manoa looks really good. Manoa looks good. He does. It's Instagram friendly. And then you get guys like there was a story from Martin Gallegos covers the A's for MLB.com. Mason Miller lighting up the radar gun in his first bullpen session at HoHo -Ho Camp. And I'm thinking like, I don't necessarily want Mason Miller lighting up the radar gun in February. I want him to be healthy on opening day. And that's clearly the biggest priority for the organization. But there's just some guys that can't dial it back. Like they're just always 100% sitting close to that max. And that's just the way their bodies work. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely one of those. Seeing that in person, he doesn't look like, I mean, he looks like he's putting something on it, like in games. Like that, that is, that's not what you see in bullpens, but like, nice and easy is the same thing you know it's maybe minus three miles an hour and i've i've played with a lot of those guys that just they're not they don't care how hard they're throwing in the bullpen and they're still throwing harder than you 
Like, and it's just the way it's the me- mechanically they've figured something out and um, the way that they de- deploy strength and, and like flexibility is like their mechanics. Like it's part of their mechanics. They like have to do it at that level or the mechanics don't work. And so like DeGrom, we mentioned, we were talking before the show. He's a guy who he just figured it out perfectly. He's so athletic that like being athletic is something he has to do to throw the ball. And if when he's athletic, he throws really hard. That's just like the way it is. He's a he's a freak. But again, there's there's the other side of that coin where um, you know, the body can only just do that so many times. Like it's just not uh built to throw a baseball overhand. It's it's just isn't so um yeah, I, I don't especially with Mason, I really don't think this is a hey guys, look at me. Like cause you know, we get it. You throw you throw 102. Like everyone knows, he knows you know, like it's so it's not it's not a showing off thing. That he's does just happen. trying to be ready. But he's yeah. just trying to be ready. He's just trying to be like, hey, look, I'm healthy. And yeah. But yeah, it's did you ever six weeks we need to be healthy? <laughs> <laughs> what, what what was your uh was he ever your catch partner? I never played catch with him. I was a uh, uh, my catch partner was Austin Pruitt. Okay. <laughs> my recommendation for anyone playing with Austin Pruitt is try to get him as your that guy hits you in the center of the chest every throw. Whoa. Shout out to Austin. He's the best catch partner I ever had. Sorry to everybody else, but my like, wow, it was it made me feel good. Uh, it felt like we were getting something accomplished. Um, but no, I never played catch with him. Uh, but and I felt bad for the guys that did. Uh, him and uh, Louis, Louis Medina, woof, oh, tough, oh, tough, tough. Just because they throw so hard and they're just electric and they don't know how to throw soft. So yeah, and and Medina's, you know. Does not always know where it's going. <laughs> no, there's there's a lot of there's a there's one against the wall every time. That's Danny Jimenez's partner. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> That's incredible. The other thing I wanted to kind of bring up today was the the general idea on this show. What we're gonna do is we're gonna start deep diving into each pitch, all the different pitches that could be in an arsenal, because you've thrown them, you've mm-hmm. you've seen other people throw them up close. Eno studies it in depth, and we think there's a way to really inform and and educate everybody like what makes pitches effective why are some pitches good when you watch them on tv but they're actually actually very hittable right there's all sorts of different combinations that can play out as you sort of look at arsenals and we're going to start with the basics we're going to start with the four seamer and it's pretty wild because we've got a couple examples so we're going to start with one that i think anybody watching the show can look at and say this is a good four-seamer. This is a Felix Bautista four-seam fastball. 101, <laughs> top of the strike zone, right? Good Everything luck. you could possibly want in a four-seamer. And for me, the thing that I think is a little bit misleading is it's not just the velo. There's more to that fastball than the triple digits. That's the thing that the average person is going to look at and say, yep, excellent fastball, 101. So I am curious, why is Felix Bautista's fastball even better than that radar gun reading is going to tell us. You know, you want to you want to start with this one because I I have some stuff that I think I want to add to your stuff. Okay, well, you know, it's the, the thing that fascinates me about this and one of the reasons why I created Stuff Plus is that I don't think it's always obvious to the human eye. Now, hitters will say, yeah, I can tell that pitch has ride and ride is just the concept of the ball because of its spin doesn't drop as much as you'd expect. You can see it in a beach ball. If you throw a beach ball right with this bright spin, it'll go up. You know, it'll actually go up. But because a baseball is thicker and harder and smaller and heavier, it won't it won't go up like a beach ball, but that's the same effect. It's countering gravity and it shows up at the plate higher than the batter expects. So a batter will know about this. But when we see pitches from behind like that Felix one, it's really hard to see. If you're at in the ballpark anywhere other than right behind home plate in the scout seats, I think it's really hard to see. I think even in the scout seats, I've sat in the scout seats and I'm not always sure if that pitch had good ride or if it was just straight. You know? Yeah. And so that was that was why I one of the reasons why I created Stuff Plus. And if you got here, this is a Stuff Plus interaction um chart. And so this is a maybe a lot, but Really, just focus on the red. So what you have on the y-axis is vertical movement, and what you have on the bottom is velocity. In the black, that's Felix Bautista. The red ones, that's good. So if you look at it, you can see, oh, velo is good. Yes, we knew that. Throwing 100, it doesn't almost matter what your vert is if you throw 100. 
So if you're worried about Paul Skeens, you know, throwing 100, 102, like it won't matter if he uh, if he throws that hard. But you can see how that red kind of just goes backwards. You know, vert is always good, you know, and it always makes you a little bit better than the people who don't have vert. And that's why we've been chasing vertical movement for so long as a as a sport. And that's why Felix Bautista's pitch is not only good from Velo, as you can see, 99 on average, but also best vert in the league. And he's in that nice red where you want to be, not in the blue, which is, you know, the average fastball is in the blue. That's what every player sees. That's the average fastball. They're used to that. They're trained for that. You know, they're not trained for Felix Bautista. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's all... So, yeah, inter, when you're searching for vert, especially if you're a four-seam guy, that is... The vert is the premium. Like, it's a benchmark. Um, do you have the ability to throw above average vertical break? And then the other factors kind of pile on, and then you can find kind of outliers that way, which... We have a couple examples of that here in a moment too. Um, the the interesting for me is and thing for me is yeah, Felix Bautista is you know uh, the perfect example because he has the uh, IVB. Um, and by the way, we I, I realized that we had talked about this term, and I want to quickly pop it out there because I think that I'm going to be using it quite a few times on the show, and maybe I can give it a, just a quick definition. But that blue area is commonly known in baseball as a dead zone fastball, somewhere between, somewhere that is closer to what an, uh, a hitter would expect um, and is closer to the average. So if you throw a sinker, you want to be below that dead zone. If you want to throw a four seam, you want to be above that dead zone in terms of vertical movement. That is usually uh, the the word everyone uses or the phrase. And then uh, if you are in that dead zone, then you then velo is the way that you try to make up for that, which you know mentioned earlier that it doesn't matter as much when you throw really hard. Um, a prime example of, of this of a guy like this is uh, uh, Fuji um, with mm -hmm. with the with the um, Mets now. So he he uh, he is a prime example of a guy with of not great vertical movement, but he throws so hard that he can get away with it in certain places pretty much every time. Um, but one thing that's really interesting about Felix Bautista is the way that he throws. So there is the way the ball moves, and then there's perception of how it's going to move. That if you can change that perception a little bit, um, that is a, a deadly combo. So he also has the splitter, which is a, a whole nother can of worms, which we could talk about for, I'm sure, an entire hour. Um, how that pairs with his fastball, but he's tall. So what is he? Six eight. So he's very tall, and he's over the top, right? And he throws straight over the top. That's uh, another common term for you. An iron mic, an old pitching machine that used to just catapult the ball at you. Those are called iron iron mics. So guys who throw directly over the top, twelve o'clock, we call them iron mm -hmm. iron mics. And usually they have great backspin, which produces pretty good ride. Um, so he's one of those. So he throws from literally like above everyone in the league's head, including Aaron Judge, like every single hitter. Like it's coming down. Um, so when you get this downward angle kind of perception, you think you have this, you have this based on how he throws, you think you're going to see some sort of downward trajectory. And then he has the highest ride. So then that doesn't happen. So like it compounds <laughs> that effect that like even how he throws makes it looks like gravity is going to affect it even more. And it does the exact opposite. Now the barrel is moving even farther from the ball. So not only are people missing it, they're missing it by a lot. And then you add the splitter, it goes the opposite way underneath that that where that barrel is. So he his I bet you hit like if this were even measurable, I don't even know if you can. It'd be really interesting. But like the average distance the bat misses the ball by. That was such a great thing you just said. Like I feel like I feel like you could do that in a front office but maybe not hmm. in the public data. maybe it's maybe the cameras don't have the high enough frame rate yet on hawkeye i don't know i've been told <laughs> they don't uh so that is probably it the technology is quite not there yet but i bet you he has some of the worst swing and misses at least on fastball splitter in the league as well so um yeah like you expect something based on how he's coming at you and he's big and intimidating already and then he throws 100 and then it doesn't move the way you think it's gonna move that makes that you know that that's a guy who doesn't give up for any runs ever that's pretty yeah. much why he's so good but he's basically checks all the boxes the guys who are interesting are the guys that uh, check some of the boxes and have a very interesting uh reaction because of that well there's also you know there's also uh, you know as 
more and more ride is in the league. More, you know, batters are a little bit more in tune to that idea that, okay, here's an iron mic. He's going to have ride. So there's, in a way, it's expected now in a pro hitter, a pro hitter is going to stand in against Felix, see him throwing over the top like that and expect ride. So he's just, he's he doesn't care that you expect it. He's just going to be so good at it. He's obviously like the best in the league at it. So he's like, I know you expect it, but good luck anyway. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, there are other people, you know, uh, where... You know, we have here, this is the best ride in baseball. And you can see this vertical movement category um, that has 20.5 for Felix Bautista. That's the type of language. And this is from Alex Chamberlain's, um, you know, uh, 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 pitcher, what's it called? His uh, uh, pitcher pitch specs. Um, I forget what he calls it. Pitch leaderboard. So look look up Alex Chamberlain. He's, this is, the reason I want to put this up is this is the language that the players speak. 20 vert is that's 20 IVB and that's an imputed vertical break. Like that is what uh, induced vertical break. That's what people think of when they think of elite. They, they, that's the language they speak. They speak twenties. So Felix Batista has those twenties that people are chasing. Um, but you can also see on this that it doesn't just getting to 20 doesn't mean you're amazing. You know, Trevor Richards is not, you know, wouldn't come up as one of the best pitchers in the league if you made a list. Colin Pache, you know, Jose Arquiti's on this list. So there's other things that come into factor. You know, if you are throwing super over the top like Nick Pavetta, you need to get to those 20s to make it work um, because people kind of, this is expected movement. So uh, there's a little difference. Nestor Cortez is on this list and he's got a 5.9 foot vertical uh, release point versus Felix Batista's seven foot. So when you see, you step in the box against Nestor Cortez, you think, hmm, I don't know. This doesn't look like an iron mic. And then the pitch comes at you like an iron mic's. So there's this there's this disconnect between what you expect and uh, what you were given. Um, we have another video here really quickly of Jose Arquides, uh fastball. This is on the list of the top five in vertical break. I don't know. That looks like easy peasy. 92, you know, straight as a bean, and it does get hit. And I think part of that is he releases it like a foot shorter than uh, Felix Bautista, so batters get to see it for a foot longer. Uh, His release point is not as extreme, and uh, there's something about it that's more expected. So there is a relationship between what you do and what people expect you to do, given your arm slot. Yes, Jose is a prime example of a guy who is closer to what you expect and there's there's not a lot of uh, of perception change there and then the, there's and also not high velo either like that was you know 92 mm-hmm. uh you know that's a, like blow average now um and minus 92 minus given the fact that he's releasing it for a short arm and, so it's, yeah and it's it's slowing down a lot more by you know air, air resistance mm-hmm. all stuff it's actually going slower than uh, another person that has a longer extension throwing 92 it, it might right. be going a little bit faster. They're actually technically throwing harder. That's a right. we're not going to go there, but yeah, it's, it, <laughs> that's a whole thing. Um, Wait, did you have good extension? Uh, yes, I had very good extension. Uh, okay. I think at my lowest was ninety fourth percentile in a year. So uh, me and Edwin Diaz are the same pretty much. And so you, as a, I was just interested in this too. Like you, you're training, you're pitcher, you're training. Um, you want vert, you want extension. Um, are any of those innate and like good luck trying to get it like you had extension did you as a kid want that or is it just you did you jump are you like a jumper you know like did you kind of jump off the mound that's the drop and drive tom siever that nolan Nolan ryan and that was like from as a kid or like coming up they were like we want more extension out of you like do this as a kid that's how i perceive that's how you threw hard (laughs) like i I was like oh you just gotta push off as hard as you can and then throw as hard as you can like that's yeah, how right. i perceived it like <laughs> todd i was um tom house had a had an extension kind of you know fad he, the, he likes the like, towel drill too right yeah yeah tower drill too you want to reach out and you want to snap it against the glove my dad would move farther out we weren't really thinking about it as extension it just worked that way in uh-huh. terms of like follow through or release or getting the ball out um that was very common like in the early aughts when i was learning or late 90s so uh you know we checked the 
the throwing binder uh, for the Tom House articles, blogs, and the found the ping, and then we practice. That's how I learned. Um, so I was very much like that, but I don't think it's entirely necessary. But that is the benefit. Like if you do have lo- ride, the funny thing about if you have ride and then you can get long extension. The interesting thing is um, then the perception of the ball is that it's going to go higher than it is. So you can get lots of called strikes to the top of the zone. And um, but if you change heights, so one thing for me, I'm six foot five. I'm a big dude and I stand up tall. So I stand up tall and I come set. Do you see tall, big guy? Like I look like Felix Batista at this point. And then I come come up and they're like, okay, still nothing to tell me he's not going to be an iron mic. And then I get low. <laughs> when I get low, and they're like, okay, now he's way lower than I thought was possible. My release point was like five six. So like on my, my vertical release was five six. And then I threw up in the zone and I had like 17, 17 to 18 ride uh, mostly in my which is good. It's above average. It's it's top, you know, top 20% of the league. But uh I could get so low. So I was tall. Expectation changes again when I go down, and then I throw ride <laughs> again. So then it's riding like a guy who like beat Batista is tall. So they're going, he has ride. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. Like that's the, <laughs> that was my dynamic and that's happening subconsciously. And there's a bunch of guys that do that uh, really, really well. And that actually explains why their ride works better than for, say Jose or uh, because they have something that uh, there's doubt placed at some point in the delivery mm. subconsciously. Like that is my theory. That is, I'm going to stand by this some point they change their mind and then change it back. And it happens quick and it takes a while to get used to. Um, and when you're facing a reliever, you're facing once and you're like, well, I don't have the time to figure this out. So then you get back and you're like, oh, this is happening again. And then it's over again. And you're like, ah, so it takes months to get to a reliever. Uh, starter's a little bit different, but. Uh, starter, you get to see three times in a game. And yeah. Exactly. So that, so yeah. that was that was interesting. Um, and I know that worked for me really well, but it wasn't on purpose. It's very hard to teach, especially extension. Guys struggle to learn extension, especially as a pro. Yeah, I think you've been throwing so long by the time you're in a pro. Like you're gonna you're gonna tell them like you want me to do what now? <laughs> you know, like like I've been throwing this way for ten years. It's legs, so like you learn legs first. Yeah. So if you're trying to change how your legs work, it's gonna affect everything. So you have to yeah. break everything down. It's like it's very hard to separate it. It's not a separate. It's thing. almost like it only happens like post surgery. I feel like sometimes post surgery people are like, okay, I'm gonna start all over. You know, but, I need eighteen months to relearn yeah. how to pitch. Yeah, that's definitely it. How about chasing vert? Did you ever chase vert? Did you like? I I think the only thing I've really heard of is like a clean fuego, which is like, is like a it's a ball that doesn't have the rest of the ball. <laughs> it's the sides, uh, yeah. it's like the middle of the ball without the sides, and the only way that you can really throw it right is by throwing it with backspin, like sort of true backspin. It helps you with spin efficiency. Turn you turn it more of your spin into vert. Did you ever do a clean fuego? Did you ever do anything else to chase vert or was just you thought like this is the vert I've got and this is I mean that you weren't able to really push it. So um clean flagos are really interesting. There's guys like uh here's a prime example of a guy that actually did a lot of work with the clean fuego. Um Luke Bard. He was a you know spin rate darling, like 3,200 spin rate on his fastball led the league, but he had what we call wobble. Like his ball just like changed its its axis constantly. And for whatever reason, like arm path, whatever, they're trying to figure it out. And then throwing clean fuego what you want to do is you hold it on a four seam and you throw it and it's got like it's like a flat ball so it's flat on the sides and it's round normally like a ball you're holding like a disc you're throwing it and you want it to cut just slightly when you're playing catch um and be true so if it's spinning true back it goes just cuts a little bit like towards your glove side and so but you can also see like you see the wobbler or not right yeah so if it's wobbling it's going whoa, 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 and it won't cut like it's very yeah. obvious it makes it very very obvious the guys used to do this with like they draw on the ball and they try to get yeah, the you can line, draw on the ball too. Yeah. And they couldn't get the line, but then there was no, there was no like physical. It wasn't so obvious, so it's really hard to see. So this was developed. I picked up a fuego, I threw it, and it just perfectly cut every time. So I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't, like uh, this is not going to help me. <laughs> this is naturally. So this is guys who are like don't have a lot, or they're in the dead zone. They're just trying to get slightly above it. They're trying to add some efficiency, and I already kind of naturally had that. So what actually helped me develop, like, make sure my ride was consistent, and that I was getting it regularly was during my long toss so a lot of people talk like pull downs and all this like building arm strength the velo yes that all works but when i played long toss i could see tra- ball trajectory really long really toss well is hugely important huge and not so only for arm it. strength but for what you're talking about movement you can really because the movement you have so much longer for the movement to develop you yeah. can just see you can see it 
Exactly. You can physically see it. You're like, you can see now numbers that you saw on the track, man. You can see them. Uh, you're starting to realize like what you're seeing and then what that translates in. in what like does ride look like in long way. toss? Does it just sort of like float up and then fall down or something? Kind of, yeah. Or or like, um, oh, what was what was it the other day? Uh, uh, there was a Japanese uh, player who threw the ball home. And remember, the guy catches it perfectly and I was like, whoa, like uh, um, it, was, it went viral for a while. That ball had so much ride that it didn't mm. die. So this keeps, it feels like it's keep, it's just going to keep going if you're not there. Like yeah. <laughs> I'd have guys catch low throws. I throw like if I do a pull down when I'm coming in, like at like 180 feet and they go low, like it's going to hit the ground and then it doesn't. So like they get kind of a little bit locked up because they're yeah, like, they're, <laughs> they're, they got, they got caught by the right. Cause low, low in the zone too. I could get guys frozen there. Cause they're assuming it's going to be below. The they zone think it's going to go below. Yeah, exactly. So guys who catch it like that, like, dude, what was that? So it seems harder too. So that's kind of like when I saw that reaction, that is when I was like, okay, I am spinning this thing and it's catching the way that I wanted to catch. But if it's, I don't have it, I start to get this fade. I see my partner start to move over a lot and I'm on the mm. side a little bit. I'm getting this like weird. Right. So you're spin. turning too much of your spin into sideways movement, whereas exactly. you want it to be kind of true. And that's when I know I got to like focus on it more. And so you'll see on that leaderboard, a lot of these guys have minus horizontal movement. They're turning so much of their spin into, into like, if you look at the, like look at Colin Pache's uh, four seam that that has very little horizontal movement. Nick Pavetta's is very little. Um, what do you see when you see the like it's more two plane? Like how how is somebody getting on here for vert and also having like Bobby Miller? Have you I don't know if you've ever seen Bobby Miller's uh, four seam, but it has uh, two plane movement where. Like it like how do you do a two plane? Like w what is going on? Do you just have so much spin? Yeah, I think it's spin related. There's a lot of spin related there. And the interesting thing really quickly, a note about uh, Pache, um, lefties and righties. So lefties will be positive horizontal if it's yeah. a running arm side a little bit. And then lefties will be negative. So Pache actually has cut. Like that's, he's throwing cutters. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot to make that, that adjustment in my head. Yeah. And also <laughs> zero isn't perfect backspin either. Um, zero is kind of cut. It, yeah, zero is like cut for both sides. So like... uh and, uh what is it? Righties is like five, three, negative five, three is like a true with everything kind of factored in. It's that's a true backspin four seam almost perfectly. Because straight. and this is partially because I think no matter what pitch you throw, you do pronate. Yeah, you have to. You, you can't throw a ball without it. Yeah. Yeah. Your arm will pronate and pronating is if you're watching on YouTube, pronating is um, uh, movement like mm, let me see turning here. your it's hand like, outwards away from your body. When you yeah, finish. So, so at some point you're turning your hand like this and where the ball's released in that turn dictates how it moves yeah and so since you do that it's there's going to be some component of sideways spin right like you can't throw a ball like this like you can't physically just take a ball and go like this and make everything you know perfectly you know that just like your body won't do that so yes and the sort of no matter what, you're going to have a little bit of sideways movement, and that's that's so zero is not true zero. It's it's actually cutting a little bit, and exactly. yeah, in Pache's case, yeah, uh, the distinction between IBB leaderboards and vertical movement ranking on Baseball Savant is annoying as poop to me. I I wish that uh, everyone had gotten together and said like this is what we'll do. And it seems like baseball did one thing and then all the sites that were publicly out there did something else. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really annoying. You can't port over 20 when you see, when you hear people, when you hear pitchers talking about vert or IVB, you can't port that over to baseball savant. The only way that I think that you can use baseball savant to play along is to actually use the relative movement. So I would ignore the gross movement because I don't even really have a great sense of what that means but you can see if you look at felix bautista's page on baseball savant you'll see a nice big red plus three or something and that's basically saying his vertical movement is three inches better than league average and that that's good enough that's that's your best way to play along on baseball savant exactly uh those numbers are also uh attached to people there's a certain range of velos that that's attached to as well so like uh guys with that his vert it's like vert who it's vert amongst dudes who throw 99 too, and which there are a lot, which of, makes sense you know. because if you throw, if you throw uh, slower, you have more time to move. Yeah. So there's like a, there's a relationship between time 
and distance and movement <laughs> and spin and velo. You know, I do have a little rule of thumb though. If if because I look at I used to look at Savant a lot before I had I was using True Media or or even like other things. Um, Twenty is kind of the benchmark. That is what TrackMan talks in. Uh, that is what Repsoto yeah. talks in. Um, but uh, a, a a quick dirty kind of conversion. A guy that's like a ten vert. So that so basically vertical induced vertical movement is like uh uh the perception a uh, perception score it's got weights and stuff in it and then mm. uh the other one is kind of like a how much is it dropping that's savant savant is like a, is how much drop. is it dropping so a, a lower number is better yeah if lower you, numbers you do want to look at raw higher numbers lower numbers better, better. Yeah. so if 10, you got a guy in the nines good. like on savant he's he's 20 plus every time yeah. uh strider's flirting with that uh, I had one year in like 16. I think this was because the technology sucked, but I was like nine, seven, which was like crazy. Cause I never got near that again. Uh, uh, another good one is Liam Hendricks. Go check his out. He's got some of the best true backspin or has in the past, uh, as well in terms of that. And again, it ranks them. So like you see a guy with a bright red number and it's like those numbers, the numbers light up because of percentiles in the league. Similarly to when you took the, the the test when you were in elementary school and they said what percentile you were in as opposed to getting yeah, you right, yeah. uh, that that is what they go by. So like like bright reds like top five percent, um, top five fifth percentile in the league for that type of thing. And so if a guy's got a bunch of reds like on all of his pitches, his stuff's moving really good comparatively. Um, I just go how much red is there here, and then I go from there when I'm looking at the guy. And, and to be fair, Strider's a really interesting name that you brought up. To be fair to Savant, the, I think the reason they did it is their vertical movement number has some kind of adjustment, some sort of uh, knowledge of the release point, you know. And I think that vert movement, like in terms of I, IVB, like at least vert movement on Alex Chamberlain's thing, like like a, like a twenty is a 20 and it doesn't really take into account your release point in the same way exactly so okay. strider having a nine strider does not show up here uh invert move at the top and so you know that speaks a little bit to what we were talking about is the relationship between your release point what people expect strider is low you know he's doing what you were talking about doing and he totally did it on purpose and he did it post-surgery he yeah. said, I want to have a low release point with as much ride as possible from high extension. He was like, he's like, that's what I want to do. I want to have these three things because he's an analytical mind that like knew that from a stuff plus based research from what we've looked at, that that's going to be effective. So coming out of TJ, he was like, I'm going to drop, you know, I'm going to stand tall and then I'm going to drop and then I'm going to release way out in front and I'm going to try to have ride on it and play around with people's perceptions of what's going to happen so in some ways like baseball savant can be superior in sort of grouping how hitters perceive that exactly. you know so strider having a nine there and having i don't know like a 17 vert over here this the the nine on baseball savant tells the story better yeah in a way yeah and uh, another reason it, why i did stuff plus weight. is because it kind of pulls you know it pulls all these things together you know, and I hate that it's a black box and it's doing this in all these different ways, looking at, oh, this, this release point's important here, extension's important here, and trying to put it all together. But uh, each of the metrics we have otherwise are can kind of be, can come short somewhere. So like Vert Move has some shortcomings. IVB has some shortcomings. Baseball Savants has some shortcomings. They each have their strength. The just the reason why I like the 20 language uh the ivb sort of vert move language is just because it's so ubiquitous in in baseball it's the rap soto track man language it's it's what i hear when i talk to players you know as you've probably heard by now we've teamed up with betmgm this season we'll be using betmgm lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week if you haven't signed up for betmgm yet use bonus code the athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to the athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with betmgm here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And you were talking about the difficulty of adding extension before. I was just looking at Mike Soroka's page again because he had a couple Achilles injuries, missed a lot of time. Is the Savant extension data useful for people who want to play along publicly? Because he he actually increased extension a lot after a two-year gap, and I'm wondering how much that may have just been being down with an injury and having a chance to rebuild the mechanics a lot more. I bet it was, yeah. Yeah, it has a lot to do with that. Um, and I, I, you know, he, again, I heard also, and then this kind of, I didn't know about the extension increase, but he talked a lot about throwing more four seams this last year. And so I'm like, hmm, like what who what other pitchers have you been just having long conversations with i bet you spencer schreider one <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, Soroka was so was a sinker like a shorter shorter extension and heavy sinker like those things kind of tend to go together too um yeah. because you're giving your you're giving the ball longer time to move as well so it gets that heavier mm. feel guys like they what do they they, they they say it's like hitting a bowling ball um or anyone who's tried to hit like a like a like a heavy softball or something with like a metal bat like it's it's like it sucks <laughs> or like something that's not supposed to be hit like a basketball right yeah, so like yeah. it's that it's like it's jarring and that's what you want and so going the other way is usually very hard because those two things are poor you need the extension and the sink uh to or you need the extension and the ride so like you have to learn two things to get that effect well and uh you know, he might not again. He because he struggled a little bit with with getting away with those four seams, and and there were there were growing pains where where he was getting hit a lot harder than he's ever been hit, and that's part of what comes along with being a four seam like breaking ball guy is when you do get hit, you give up harder contact because of the nature of the pitches. You're not rely, you're relying on almost lack of movement than you are movement, um, and so getting giving up barrels is like homers are usually an issue. Strider, that's his Strider. problem. Yeah. Degrom, the same. Like he just only runs he ever gave up were homers. So it's like you just got to yeah. be okay with that. So that's an interesting. Uh, he's a great example, an interesting change. Uh, but it's a, I'd love to see like what a full year of like being healthy and fully working on it. Like if he continues to kind of be able to have both those things in his arsenal, if that becomes a, a weapon as opposed to something he was still trying to learn. Really clear runway. Statistically, I would say that like extensions pretty the same everywhere. I think. It's, yeah. There's only a question of, you know, where you measure things from. But, you know, now that we have eyes on it, basically, Hawkeye is, a, is like a, is a, is a visual thing. Like, it's just going to look at where you release the ball and measure it. So, yeah, you know, I'd say the extension is pretty, Yeah. 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 Sure. If anyone's got questions, feel free. Throw them in the chat. We can answer a few. Uh, this is the biggest question of the day. Why, why is DVR wearing a collared shirt? I'm not. It's a long sleeve. I just threw it on because I'm cold. I would never wear a collared shirt. <laughs> On no the live stream. I mean, uh, you know, it's Wisconsin, Midwest February. Wisconsin is the answer. <laughs> it's just cold here. Perry, excited about the addition of Trevor on Fridays. We are too. It's awesome. Trevor, I've got a question for you. Yeah. You threw a two seam along with your uh, with your four seam. Um, my impression is if you throw a pretty good uh, four seam with ride and you throw a two seam, the idea is just to differentiate it sort of horizontally. So it's more of a two seam rather than a sinker. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of guys that call them sinkers. They're not. Um, actually, it's becoming very popular to throw uh, the high kind of heavy high two horizontal uh, two-seam yeah. as a wrinkle. Um, we yeah. see a lot more of that this year, I think, especially like right on right, up and in. Because hitting that up and in spots very, very hard to do uh, consistently. And guys struggle with it. Like guys who throw straight four seams, like trusting that you're not just going to sail one into their armpit. Like that was the thing I, I struggled with, like really getting and throwing strikes in there. Um, and but if you can do it, n- nobody handles up and in well for for juice consistently. They have to be looking for it. It's like a it's like a hole that pretty much every right hander will have. Well, and then even the ones that don't have it, like Correa and Bregman, and like the, the yeah. high and tight hitters, Paredes, uh, some of those guys, Soler, the guys that do that, they want a four seam there. Yeah, they want a four seam. Not they're, a, not they're looking for four seam high and tight. And they, if you give them a two seam high and tight, they're likely to foul it off. Or yeah, I think foul most likely, even if they're ready for it, and that's what they like, you know, because the movement is 
is not going to be right on their barrel. Exactly. So yeah, that that, that wrinkle pitch will get. It's it's becoming like a like a, a variation thing. So expect the Dodgers and the Rays and the Astro. Like just expect that. To, you see a lot of it. Two or three kinds of hard pitches high. Yeah, yeah, especially relievers. Relievers are mixing them in once or twice and just being like, yeah, I have that. Um, and you don't have to really be that fine. You just aim up, and then usually it just naturally goes over there. And you can miss. It doesn't need to be a strike, and it's just saying, hey, I have it. And like it's just getting more and more popular because uh, because the force seems, like you said, there's people, guys are training to get on top of it, blocking that ball off. That's what's called. They're calling it blocking, getting the foot down and getting the, getting the barrel to the top, high pitch. Um, and so you have to, pitchers got to adjust and then it'll flip back again. So that's kind of what's going to happen. That is definitely something that was mentioned a lot at the end of last year. And I think it's going to be very popular this year. Here's a question from Hayden on the live stream. What's the single best pitch in baseball right now? Oh, what do you think? You know, I'll submit Devin Williams change up, <laughs> airbender as one it, just purely by unique nature. Of course. <laughs> hey you know what i gotta wear this shirt to stay warm i'm gonna at least <laughs> prop him up a little bit i mean i yeah i don't think anyone's been able to replicate it a lot of people tried i, I feel like that's the pitch that's just kind of really really defied pitch design so far uh guys are like <laughs> actually let's just learn splitters uh uh try to get that effect because no one can like pronate like that he throws a slider that way that goes that way it's just I, the, people the, physically the twist can't over it. it's like it just, it's, it's crazy it looks like it would hurt slow motion out of his fingers i'm like i don't know how that's how how can you feel that and like be comfortable with it uh he's throwing it like with his pinky and i i can't imagine that i, I can't even move my pinky independently of my other fingers how does he even do that i don't know crazy some people are like that we uh we updated stuff plus so i've got uh i've got an answer from that perspective uh a Roldis Chapman sinker? Nope. No, come on. Uh, Felix Bautista's split finger? No way. Okay. Uh, That's at least, that makes sense. Robert Stevenson's cutter? Tyler Glasnow's curveball? Uh, Ryan Presley's slider? Um, and Matt Brash's slider? Okay, so I was going to ask about Brash, but like, okay, so we're talking Presley's slider cutter thing or his curveball yeah like his hard curveball because he throws you know low 80s i know they're see. both very I got good presley i got presley curveball 140 stuff plus and presley slider 170 so it's the harder one. Oh wow that's his that's his that's his bulk pitch uh yeah hmm. i wonder it. if you ask him he'd be like no that's just the that's like my fastball that's, like, that's what i throw yeah. as my fastball <laughs> When we asked, when I asked a bunch of players, uh, and even uh, a couple guys in the A's locker room said Matt Brash's slider. Oh, everybody loves Matt Brash's slider. It's he might actually win in the uh, worst swings category. That's true. I've never seen uh, Jose Ramirez fall down in my career, <laughs> or even miss a pitch. Frankly, I don't think I've ever gotten him swing miss maybe once, and I was like, "Oh, it's like that, huh?" Yeah, Brash's <laughs> sliders fun to watch. A lot of pitching ninja goodness from Brash. Oh, yeah. Great eyebrow, too, Matt Brash. <laughs> Alex wants to know, do you know which batter you've struck out the most in your career? Eugenio Suarez. I believe eight or nine times. <laughs> Is this from memory, or oh, yeah. do you have, are you a baseball referencing yourself? Uh, no, I, I know that from memory, um, and uh, he just he passed Napoli last year. <clears throat> Oh, nap, so nap, you even no know second place. Though, nap takes the cake. <laughs> nap, I, 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 I love, I love him, man. I was a huge fan of Mike Napoli. Loved the way he nap, played. Nap Wiener. But man, I, I owned him. I really did own him. I think he'd tell you. That. <laughs> what do you think it was? I don't know, man. I just something. Maybe it was because it was early ride in the ride game. Like I was like eighteen was his last uh -huh. year. So like we had just learned what it was, and I had it the whole time, and I was throwing. Uh -huh. and I had just bought into throwing high heaters. And uh, yeah, it was like, he was like 0 for 7. And they were probably, seven. you know, low swings trying to murder sinkers. He's a very good low ball hitter. And he started yeah. to get that high block off swing, but he'd chase it. He'd swing at it every time. And he's just like, oh, <laughs> towards the end, you could tell he was like, I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know what it is about. This <laughs> I just can't do it. It looks good until it's above the bat. It looks good until it's, I got him, I froze him a bunch of times too, which is weird. 
It's something I never do. I don't know. He was just my guy that it always worked out for. I, it just happened. Mm. I think I froze him like three mm. times. I just, I've probably froze like eight guys in my whole career. <laughs> but you remember all those. I mean, how many of the batters you faced in your career, what, how many at-bats do you remember? What percentage of them do you think? Like most of them? I would say more than half, yeah. I, I, I'd say if you recall a, a, uh, I could tell you like night, day or night game for the most part. Uh, and then that would like tell me like what time of the year, like I could generally, I, I don't know. You just do a lot of like, when you get really like nervous or <laughs> anxious uh, about a game and like you're super prepping for it. So that you make sure it's like prepping for a test. You're like, I got to make sure. And then you like, you remember stuff from those tests you took in high school that you crammed for because you mm. hammered it into your psyche. And that's very much how I approach the game of baseball. So uh, that that like that it's such an intense emotion. You're just very very much in like getting ready to pitch to a guy. So you're gonna remember the AB against him. I'll never forget the Aaron Judge September 11th AB ever. Mm. I mean, it also was a homer and they tied the game and stuff like that. All that all has a lot to do. <laughs> and it sucked. But <laughs> but the anticipation for that AB. Well, I I remember anticipating it for three days. I like, knew it was gonna happen. I'm like, I'm gonna face Aaron Judge <laughs> with the game, with on, the the game on the line on September 11th, playing the Yankees in City. Like it's gonna happen, and it did exactly. And then he hit the homer second well, pitch. You know, from a I was a, a psychology major. From a psychology perspective, the more motion and adrenaline you have, the more you remember yeah. uh, an event. So I would assume that most of the time when you're on a major league mound even though it sounds like a lot, 2000 or whatever, like those are adrenaline filled moments for you. You're always like pitching for your life, pitching for next year, pitching for your contract, no matter what year you are, what, what time it is. Uh, when you, when you walked into the A's clubhouse for the first time, could you, did you immediately know who you'd faced? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, well, there wasn't many, uh, but I remember, Rook? um, no. uh, I never faced Rook. Uh, I got, I think it was uh, literally, uh, uh, Oh, Peterson. Um, I remember strikeout. He's like, Do you remember your strikeout of me last year? I'm like, Yeah. It was a big A B. Guys were on second and third. Uh, like, mm. like, you know, I cause I remember I even like gave a gave a yell and stuff, and it was like a ninety seven. <laughs> he goes, I was like, Yeah, ninety seven up and away for forcing basketball. He was like, Yeah, he blow my doors off. Cause he was and then I'm like, Yeah, I struck out Colton Wong earlier on a high changeup. And so you were like, he change up I come here. He's like, Yes, I was thinking that. I'm like, I know I was right. That's why I threw, that <laughs> why I threw that other one. <laughs> He's like, Jesus, you remember all this? I'm like, Yeah, because that's that was what we, you know, I just my job. injury. Like I needed that. We needed that. We needed to win the game. I remember like it was a big game, like we're chasing uh -huh. the Braves, like or trying to stay ahead of them. Like, so he's like, dude, like and then we also were talking about the anxiety stuff. I'm like, it, it's pretty clear that baseball is pretty life and death for me too. He's like, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Market eight dude on the stream. Did you ever know a pitch was going to be really good or bad as soon as it left your hand? The, the judge one you just talked about? Yeah, no. The judge one, I'm like, oh, that's a bad pitch, but he, like, he can't even hit it. It was a change up up and in. I have no idea. He just was like, yeah, no, he was just Aaron Judge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's really good. Um, yeah. That pitch was bad. Uh, there was a curveball I threw to uh, Devers or slider I threw to Devers. Devers. I was like, oh, get down and in, please just get there. And he just like, it didn't he get there. Pesky pulled me. Um, it was a homer, <laughs> homer. It would have been a homer anywhere, but he wrapped it. And I was like, and I had to catch someone else's runs. It was, it sucked. But uh, uh, that one, it came out of my hand. I was like, no. Um, uh, I actually had this conversation with Adovino a lot because he's a great, he's a big guy on boarding pitches. Um, I don't know if you, I've heard him talk about that, but like in the Which middle, just like throwing delivery. it into the ground or something, or what? In the middle of his delivery, he'd be like, he'd be like, okay, I'm gonna go slider here, and as he's throwing, he's like, no, 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 and I'll just yank <laughs> it. So he has some of these, he, some of the pitches where he threw it like off the camera, like it literally it's was on purpose. Bad. He's just trying to get rid of the pitch. He's like, there's been a couple. <laughs> he has a couple of those are just misfires, like because his stuff right. so much, right? And he's kind of I funky. love Adavino, but every once in a while, he's like, every once in a while, just like the worst pitch you've ever seen and it was because it was like no no he's gonna hit it like and he just could be yes <laughs> in the middle of the pitch it happens we're human uh but i do that too sometimes where i'll be like yes i'm like why did i say yes <laughs> in the last millisecond getting some kind of cue and just saying no nope, bad idea and just then you go into pet bear, just mode, you it. got this just you know live with it live with whatever the like you're having this conversation <laughs> the catcher head. called it he got it. He, he, it you're gonna kill him if you don't throw it um so <laughs> that does happen sometimes yeah but that that judge one was one i was like and then i just i i'm like i've seen this in my mind's eye already and then it happened one more for today this one's from benjamin which hitter had the most impressive ability to identify and adjust to challenging pitches 
oh, in my career, Mickey Cabrera, far and away. That guy, and he didn't, he was okay with it. He was okay with like getting nasty pitches. He was never worried about a guy who was too nasty. Uh, because first of all, he has all this confidence and he's Mickey. He's just like his personality. Like he's just, that guy was never in doubt of how good he was. Um, and even towards the end, he's still having a lot of fun. So he was okay with giving you the thumbs up if you got him. So once he did that, like he would just, he would, he'd go like sliders coming, sliders coming, throw a fastball. And he'd be so good at just like hitting it into your dugout. And then just like, okay, try it again. You're like, I'm not confident I could throw that even that that was by him. He was not looking for that. And it's <laughs> yeah. still, he's still not out. So now I have to do it again. And he was a master at that, which is why he's a first ballot easy. Uh, he's amazing. Um, but yeah, I just watching him. That's when I knew I was like, Oh, I'm in the, I'm in the show. Like you can't just like stuff a guy, like just give him your best stuff and like get him. Um, and that's it, it. you got one and then now you got to get clever. And then they had him and V Mark, who was another very, very good at that too. So just spoiling pitches, but yeah, Mickey Cabrera, best uh, spoiling pitches. Then I'd say Votto early in his career was really good at it too. He was okay with it, like like just like chopping a ball, like foul, and then getting another one to see. Um, so and then it was kind of sad to see as they got older because they're trying to do it and it was just slowing down, so it's harder to do. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I'd never seen anything like that. That's he he's he was my welcome kid guy. It was it was impressive. I think Vimar, you kind of mentioned him there. He's one of those players that 10 more years are going to pass and people are going to realize how good he was. Like, there's just a, there's players like that in every era. And he's just underrated he in is. terms of just overall ability to hit. He didn't strike out looking for two years. Wow. It's insane. In, in this modern era. Never see it again. No. I'll never see it again. Not for a guy that can do damage like that anyway. If you see someone do it, it's not going to be that anyone has any power. Kwan, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be Steve Kwan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, Steve Kwan just won't strike out at all. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> He's just getting rid of it completely. Tons of great questions today. We appreciate everybody who watched us live. Uh, we are going to call it a show. You can give us a follow on Twitter. Trevor is at I am Trevor May. Eno is at Eno Sayers. I'm at Derek Wright. But the pod is at Rates and Barrels. Join our Discord. The link for that will be in the show description if you're listening to this podcast. Drop us a nice rating review. Smash the like button here. And Eno's got something here for us, too. We're going to be in New York City live. The three of us doing live, two live podcasts at Other Half, March 2021 for the Soul Games. And so you can do some Q&A then, too. Uh, please join us. We'll have some guests. We'll have a special beer and a special sandwich, as usual. And throw the Soul Games up uh, on, the, on, the, uh, on the background. So please uh, visit us. And thanks for listening.